Feels like it's been since last year since I've seen you. Cue laughter. But it is, it is my family and I's pleasure to be here this morning. We open the Word of God to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In verse 13, we will find our text this morning. The title of this morning's message is The Whole Duty of Man. And here the word of the living and the true God reads, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Are you looking for purpose in this life? And many, many people will have a New Year's resolution, and it will be to, uh, I know mine should be to lose weight, to, uh, to get in better shape. Round is a shape, but not a good one. Are you wondering what the purpose of life is? We have it before us. Why are we here? What is, what is man's purpose in Ecclesiastes 12, 13? This is a dilemma, a problem, that God has given to us, that God gave to Solomon to answer for us. Let us see and examine this conclusion. Before we can examine it, we must understand the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes gets its name from, uh, ultimately from the Greek language, from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Ecle uh, ecle it's, it comes from the term ecclesia, which we can see in it. We can see in the English rendering of uh, Ecclesiastes. It comes from the Hebrew term koheleth, which is an appellative. That's uh, a fancy word. I didn't know what it meant until I looked it up. It's a title. President is, a, is an appellative, it's a title. This Koheleth means, uh, means preacher, and it is translated that way seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes, all time, every time it's found, it is translated preacher. The preacher is one who preaches to an assembly, an ecclesia is an assembly. Ecclesia in the New Testament does not always mean a New Testament church, a New Testament assembly. You must get that from the context. There was uh, an, an assembling of uh, the courts uh, in the New Testament. That's, that's an assembly, and it is not a New Testament church. It is not a New Testament ecclesia, a New Testament assembly. But the preacher is one that teaches an assembly, so that is how we get the name ecclesia, or a, a, the term, the name Ecclesiastes. But it is also Solomon who is, the, who is the, the man that God gave these words to. He is not mentioned, but if you'll come to the first chapter, we'll look at a few verses, and as well as at the end, that show us that it is uh, most certainly Solomon, the one who wrote this. Verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So it is one of the sons of David that was king in Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 12. I, the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. There's only, one, there's only one after David that was king over all Israel in Jerusalem. For after Solomon they split. So it was Solomon. And I gave my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. This does help us, that, help us to see that this is under heaven that we're examining. This is the life under 
heaven. Come to chapter 12, back, back to chapter 12, and we'll see another, another, confirming, another confirming text in 12 and verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, you remember Solomon asked for wisdom. Whenever God gave him one, one wish, one, uh, one wish that he would grant, he asked for wisdom, to rule the people with wisdom. And, and the Lord was pleased to grant that. He, he was wise. He still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. We know that he is also the author of the proverbs. It, this is, no doubt, Solomon uh, confirm, confirming uh, to be the author. He is the author. Now, what was the purpose of Ecclesiastes? It is an investigation. Remember, we saw under heaven, and we'll see time and time again, that it is referenced under heaven, under the sun. It is a, an investigation into this life from the standpoint of viewing it under the sun, beneath the sun, under heaven. Its purpose, this life's purpose from a human perspective, in, in, and in many instances, attempting to exclude God from the equation. That is why he says over and over and over again that this life is vanity. Men cannot remove God from the equation. It is impossible. For without God, nothing makes sense. This world is logical because our God is the founder of logic. He is the one in which logic is rooted. He is not the author of confusion, and that is why things make sense. The founders of what we would refer to as modern science were Christians, and they started examining creation because they expected to find order, because our God is the God of order. This investigation into this life is attempting to remove God from the equation, but that is not possible. It is not, it is not uh, whether men will worship, but which God they will worship. Will they worship the one, the true and only God, or will they worship some other idol, whether one created by their imaginations, one created in their own image, or, or something created in somebody else's imagination? It is not whether, but which. Verse 2 of chapter 1 gives us this conclusion also. Verse 2 of chapter 1, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Remember, this is an investigation into this life attempting to remove God from the equation. This life is nothing but vanity. That is the conclusion of this investigation, and he gives it up front. But just in case we missed it, he also gives it to us at the end. Come back to chapter 12. I'm sorry to keep you, keep you moving back and forth, but I want, I want us to see that this is the case. 12 and verse 8, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Vanity is found 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is rendered futility, vapor, and uh, that is the definition of vanity. Excuse me, futility it is a vapor. It vanishes. There's no, there's no, it is purposeless. That is the definition of vanity. In verse 3 of chapter 1 is where we see that this is an, ex an examination of under the sun. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? If there's no God, there's no profit. There's nothing to be expected from working hard. You will sow and you don't expect to reap. 
But nobody sows not expecting to reap, because that's the way God has set the creation. Under the sun is found 29 times. Under the heaven or under heaven found three times indicates from what perspective this investigation, as I have mentioned, that indicates what perspective this, is, this life is being examined from, being examined from under the sun, not from God's perspective, but from man's perspective attempting to exclude God from the equation. Solomon had seen all things under the sun. Look at chapter 1 and verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Without God in the equation, that is what this life is. Without, without acknowledging the Creator, this life is nothing but, but vapor, nothing but futility, nothing but it's purposeless. There's no, use, there's, no, there's no purpose to it. There's no point. There is a point. We know that, and we know that, we know that you cannot remove God from this life. But that is, uh, Solomon had seen everything from under the sun. What are you talking about, preacher? He'd, he'd never seen a cell phone. Do you know what, what the scriptures reference a cell phone as, our, our modern cell phone where you've got the world at your fingertips? That would, how, many, how many servants would it take to have the equivalent of a cell phone, of an iPhone? that had connection to the internet. I don't know, 100,000? Uh, so many servants that, they, that, that that's the equivalent of a cell phone. We each have that. How many servants did Solomon have? Not that many. We have more at our fingertips than anybody at that point in time had. But he had seen how men would use that type of wealth, which is what that is. An iPhone, the type of technology that we have, cars that will go 100 miles an hour, that type of wealth, he had seen how men would use that. So that he had seen. Technology may change, but man does not. Man does not change. So he had seen how men would use technology, seen how men would behave in this life. He had seen all the works, all that men do in this life. He had seen all of that under the sun. And this is, this is his conclusion. His, the first purpose of his conclusion for a meaningful life, to avoid vanity of vanity, all is vanity. To avoid that, the first part of his conclusion is to fear God. As we see, as we see in our text, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. If you want purpose in this life, you want your life to be full, full of purpose. Fear God. That is not a trembling fear, I'm terrified. It's a reverential fear. A reverence for the Lord God. How do we do that? Ecclesiastes, one thing to note, is that Ecclesiastes ends where Proverbs begins. Come to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the Proverbs begin where Ecclesiastes concludes. You want, you want a purposeful life, fear the Lord. Revere the Lord. Hold Him in His proper place. Esteem Him higher than your daily food. How do we esteem Him higher than our daily food? We esteem His Word higher than our daily food. Because His Word is more important. Do you know how many people 
in the scriptures can you think of? I can think of at least one off the top of my head that didn't feed themselves. Elijah. He was fed by raven morning and evening. Ravens don't like to share. But yet the Lord God made them share. Made them bring him bread morning and evening and he drank, he drank out of the brook. All he did was do what the Lord told him to do. What are we told by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Serve him. Fear him. Do what he would have you to do. And all these things will be added unto you. He'll take care of your needs. He'll take care of what you need just as we just, as we just sang about. Just as he did with Elijah. Just as he did, took care, has taken care of his people throughout all of history. But also in Ecclesiastes... In chapter 3, by the way, we'll, this, this message will be somewhat of a survey of the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3 and verse 14, we'll see what God does that men should fear before him. Verse three, or chapter 3 and verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Whatever God does, man can't change it. Whatever he purposes to do, he will accomplish it. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. His will is always done. Our God, the idols can't speak. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have ears, but they hear not. They, they may have feet, but they walk not. But our God is in the heaven, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased, we're told in the Psalms. And God doeth it. Why does God do what he does? That... To the purpose that men should fear before him. Men should revere him for what he does. Does not the rain fall on the just and the unjust? The sun shineth upon the, the evil and the good? That men should fear before him, revere him, hold him in his proper place is why he does those very things. Come to chapter 7. What will, what will fearing God do? Verse 18 of chapter 7. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of these, and take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now what, back up and we'll see what it's talking about. Back up to verse 16. Be not righteous over much. Don't be, don't be overly, overly self-righteous. Don't think yourself of more, more righteous than you are. Neither make thyself overwise. Don't think you're don't think you're wiser than you are, because you and I we're not we're not wise or righteous in and of ourselves. It is the Lord God that gives us wisdom. It is our Lord God that gives us righteousness. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Being prideful does not pride go before a fall. We're told in the Proverbs. Be not over much wicked. Neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Some men die before their time, and there is sin unto death, we're told in 1 John 5. You know that there's sin unto death? Speaking, this is speaking to God's people, to, to all the people. Any, anybody that will listen to this is who this is speaking to. There is sin unto death. And that, that's even for God's people. Moses and Aaron had sin unto death. When Moses struck the second rock, we, 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 we sang about a spring of joy. The rock that's gushing before me comes from the book of Numbers. Talking about the second rock 
that had water, that, that watered the people of Israel, when Moses should have spoken softly to that rock. But instead, he, got, he was angry at the Israelites, and he smote it twice. He should have spoken softly. The Lord said, you will die in the wilderness. You will not lead the people of Israel into the promised land. That was sin unto death. His brother Aaron died shortly after because they did not sanctify the Lord God before their eyes. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they lied to God. Christian people, born again, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, members of a, members of a local church, lied to God, so he killed them. You ever, you ever, my parents are here, they can testify that I did this at least once, I'm sure, that I made them so angry because of my behavior that they took me by the arm and said, we're going home. That's what the Lord did to Ananias and Sapphira. Their behavior was so bad, he said, you're going home. Took them home. Moses and Aaron, same thing. Throughout the scriptures, you will, you will see instances of God's people doing that. Here, the dying before your time. We could say Ananias and Sapphira died before their time. Now, uh, their numbers were, or their days were already numbered. Their days were already written down in the Lord's book. He knew exactly how long they were going to live. But, bef but to men, it appeared that they died before their time. That happens many times to the wicked, to those that, are, that behave in a foolish or wicked manner. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, take hold of that, of that teaching, Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand. Do not remove these teachings from you. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. He that fears God, he that reveres God, holds God in his proper place, will not do those things. Only when we don't hold God in his proper place will we be capable of doing those things. This teaching is, is very important for us. Come to chapter 8 and verse 11. Because sentence against an evil, an evil work is not executed speedily, this is why our, our founders wanted a speedy trial. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to get punished for this. Even if they get caught, Oh, it's going to be a long time. I'm going to continue to do this. I'm going to make bail, and I'm going to go out and do this more because it's going to be years before, before my day in court comes. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that don't fear God, no, that fear God, which fear before him, revere, have reverence for God. But it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Do you know that man's days are but a vapor? They're but a mist. They're, they appear in the morning and they're gone by the afternoon. That's what, that's what this life is. It's very short. It's very short. So short that we, we will have all eternity to think about it. This fearing before God is an important thing if you want a purposeful life. We understand that we are God's children. God's children, do you, do you chasten your children? Do you know that God chastens his? Very much so. He, does, he is not a derelict father. He does not allow his children to run amok. And that's, and that's a blessing for us. That's a blessing for us. This... Uh, 
chastening your children. Come to Hebrews chapter 6. Or excuse me, chapter 12 and verse 6. <clears throat> For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's how we know. It's one of, the, one of the ways that we know that we're his. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? My, my father's here, and he can attest that I received many chastenings as a, as a child. And I learned from them, as your children learn from theirs, as we learn from our fathers, our heavenly fathers, chastening. It is instructive. It's not a hateful thing. It is for discipline. It is for instruction. You're going away. You shouldn't be going. So you must be chastened, corrected, to go the way that you should go. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all, all of God's children are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons, illegitimate children, is all that that means. I, I understand men have turned that into a, into a meaning that it doesn't mean, and they've turned it into a curse word. All that it means is illegitimate children. God has illegitimate children, children that, that he may be the creator of, but they are not his spiritual children. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much, much rather be in subjection into the father, uh, unto the Father of spirits and live? Subject yourself to that chastening. Follow it, because it's for your good. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, God, for our profit. He doesn't do it just because he wants to. He doesn't do it because he takes pleasure in it. He does it for our good, that we may profit from it, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Oh, it seems like a good thing. I'm not getting, I'm not getting spanked today. The Lord's not chastening me. I must be, doing, must be doing great. It seems like a great thing, but grievous. It's bad. That's not good. When you're not, walk, when you're not walking in the Lord's ways and there's no chastisement, that's not good. That's not good, though it seems to be good. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow that chastening. Follow the Lord's direction. Do what he, what he would bid us to do. We have it in his word. We have it throughout uh, the scriptures, what he would have us to do in any given instance. And if there isn't a particular word, we have in Proverbs chapter 3, acknowledge him in all of your ways, and he'll direct your paths. He'll make them smooth, is, that, is, is the idea there. So we come back. That is why we would fear God. But we're also told something else. The second point in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Fear God and, it's not or, you can't just do one or the other. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Keeping his commandments is the necessary evidence of the former. If you fear God, you will keep his commandments. You will walk in his ways. It is our, uh, the pastor at my home church, 
they had a, a dark spot in their parking lot at a at a, a church he used to used to pastor at out in California. And and many times teenagers would go park there in the night. They ended up placing a scripture on a sign in front of that area that said, The Lord's eyes are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. You know that solved the problem? That solved the problem. Nobody parked there anymore. Because men have to block God out of their mind. Isn't that a wonderful thing to, to find that out? To see, to see that truth in so, in so plain light that men have to not fear God to not keep his commandments. For when they fear God, when they hold him in his proper place, above all, they will walk in his ways. They'll want to. They'll not want to do anything else. So we keep his commandments, and that is the necessary evidence of fearing him. God is the creator and sustainer of all life. He wrote the manual for this life, and you have it in your hands, whether in book form or on your phone or on your tablet, you have it in your hands. He wrote the manual for this life. He knows this life better than we ever will. We may, we may be here for 90 or 120 years, because some people have lived uh, even 969 years, if I, re if I remember Methuselah correctly. Long man that lived the longest. But yet the Lord knows this life better than Methuselah. Better than, better than any of us ever will. What are some of those principles? We're not given a, a whole boatload of commandments in the New Testament. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We're given a bunch of, we're, we're given many principles, many exhortations, many encouragements. Because of this, live this way. Because of this, do this. Because I have loved you, love ye also one another. Because I gave my life for you, it is your reasonable, uh, it is your reasonable service to give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Because of what, has, what God has done for us, it is our reasonable service to serve him in the way that he told for us to serve him. What are some of those ways? Come to Ephesians. Chapter 4 and verse, verse 30. Here's some of the ways that, that he has given us to serve him. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now we've already been redeemed. It's not talking about redemption at the cross. It's talking about the final day of the redemption of the full purchase possession. God has purchased us, body, soul, and spirit. We are a tripartite creature, three, a three-part creature. Our soul, uh, our spirit has been saved. When we're born again, we're given a new spirit. We're given a new man. Our soul is being saved as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, walking in his ways, doing, doing all that he would have us to do. Our body will be saved at the day of his coming when we're given a new body. That is the day of redemption that it's speaking of. The final, the final day, the day of the full, uh, full redemption of the purchased possession. So grieving not the Holy Spirit, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put, that all, put it all away. That's the ways of the, of the natural man. That's the ways of the old man. The old man does those things. 
Now, that doesn't mean that, that righteous indignation doesn't come up because the Lord had that. And we understand that the Lord never had any issues with any of this. Righteous indignation is a good thing. Be ye angry and sin not. You see just, just previously, I believe it's uh, uh, verse 20 maybe. Anyway, it's in here. Be ye angry and sin not. There is, there is an anger, a righteous indignation that is not sinful. We don't struggle with that. We struggle with the other kind of anger that is sinful. Instead of those things, be ye kind one to another. Verse 32. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This is how we're to treat our brethren. Remember, remember we discussed this morning why God doesn't sanctify us all at the same time? Why we don't all believe exactly the same at exactly the same time? God loves us unconditionally. Christ was the condition for his love, by the way. He met all those conditions. So, because he loves us unconditionally, unconditionally, he tells us to love one another unconditionally. Love one another as I have loved you. Unconditionally. Without, uh, because if we love one that's just like us, the publicans do that. That's not, that's not a great feat. But we have to be instructed to love ones that, don't, that, don't, that are not just like us. That's a hard thing to do. But we need the Lord's help with that. Another one. Another principle. A set of, set of exhortations that were given. Luke chapter 6. In verse 38. Here, something, something for us to note. The Lord... The Lord Jesus Christ says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. When you give, he's, he's talking about giving to the Lord. Whether that be money, time, whatever it may be. Give to the Lord, and it shall be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So when you think of filling up a sack or a bucket, how do you get the most in there? Do you just pour something in there? You just pour grain into the, into the bucket and walk off with it? No, you shake it so you can get it all settled down, and, and, and then you press it down to make more space. And then you pour some more on top of there, and it runs over. That's the type of, that's, the, that's what the Lord will give back to you for giving to Him. May, good measure, pressed down, and shaken together and running over shall men men being the instrument that the Lord will, will give back to you, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, or that you measure, with all it shall be measured to you again. The, the, the Lord gives us this for a purpose. I'm not here preaching health and wealth, but that's what the scriptures say. The Lord made a promise there, and he will deliver on all, on all that he promised to do. Come to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is not for us. Whatsoever was written aforetime was written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15.4. Come to Deuteronomy 28. And it shall come to pass, now this is written for our learning, that we, that, that we may learn from what the Lord God gave to Israel. It's not written specifically to us, but it is written for us that we may learn from it, because our Lord God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, I the Lord change not. 
You know that's the reason why Israel's still around? Malachi 3.6, I the Lord change not, therefore are ye sons of Jacob not consumed. The reason that they still exist is because the Lord doesn't change. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. Now the Lord's not going to set you and I on high above all the nations of the earth now. But do you know he will do that? Do you know that we will rule and reign with Christ over all the nations of the earth? That is when Israel will rule the nations of the earth. That's a promise here, and he's going to make good on that promise. And all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. You continue, on, you continue reading. The Lord's going to bless them greatly if they'll walk in his way. If they'll do what he says, if they'll put aside their own thoughts, for the Lord's ways are not our ways. As his thoughts, as the heaven is above the earth, so are his thoughts than our thoughts and his ways above our ways. The natural man's ways. The new man has the same ways as the Lord God. We don't walk always perfectly in the new man's ways, do we? We're not perfect. The new man is perfect. He doesn't sin. It's sin that dwells in us. It's the old man that still sins. We are, we are as a born-again child of God, we are two people. We are two people, and that is the reason why we do not walk perfectly. You continue on reading, you'll see all the earthly blessings that he will give them. These are all, the Mosaic Covenant was all about earthly blessing or cursing. It had nothing to do with keeping the law for salvation, even though that's what the Jews in the day of Christ thought that it was. It had nothing to do with that. It's all about earthly blessing and cursing. Walking in his ways will bring those earthly blessings. Walking not in his ways will bring earthly cursing, will make this life difficult. Which is why we're given in Ecclesiastes this very text. Now, who does this text apply to? Here's something that I'd like for us to focus the rest of our time on. We've examined fearing God and keeping his commandments, and that that is how to have a purposeful life, doing what he would have us to do. Who does this apply to? This is the whole duty of man, as we're told at the end of this verse. That man is mankind. That's the whole purpose of all of mankind. That is what all of mankind should do. We understand that they don't do that. We understand that not all mankind follows the revealed will of God. You know that God has, has revealed to us that he has two wills, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This, uh, just so you can see it, turn there. Just so you don't get it, ju just from my mouth. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 29, 29 reads this way. The secret things, the things that we can't see, Belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. This is the thing revealed. This is what we're to do. This is what's, what's given to us to walk in. I can't control what you do. I can't control what somebody over there does. That's the Lord's will, whatever. When we say that's the Lord's will, we're talking about his secret will. That those, that those things occur. 
I can't, I can't stop what, what Putin's done in Europe. But I can, I can control what I do. And I'm to follow the word of God, the revealed will of God. He, he takes care of the secret things. He takes care of the things that I can't take care of. So, who does this text apply to? All of mankind. All of mankind is to fear God and keep his commandments. They are to walk in his ways. But that doesn't... How, how are the wicked supposed to do this? Well, God, God, has, God has put this in his word for a reason. Do you know that the apostles spoke this way too? Come to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul reams the, the men of Athens along the very same lines, beginning in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't, he doesn't even need me up here teaching his word. But he has been pleased. That's, that's the way he chose to do it. That's what he wanted to do. He doesn't need me. We don't need to, to go spread his word. He could do it all without us. Do you know that? He doesn't need man. He created all things without man. But he has been pleased to use his people. That, that is the way that he set things, uh, set things about. He has been pleased to use his people. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. Do you know that from, from one couple he made all nations? He made all ethnos is the Greek term. He made all ethnicities from one, from one couple, from one blood. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He, de he, he determined beforehand what their days would be and where they would live. Do you know that where you live is exactly where God determined you would live? <clears throat> that, why? What's the purpose? That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him. But men don't do that. He, he does all of this that men would seek him, but they don't. He knows that they wouldn't. But he, he did it for that, for that purpose, that men might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Some of, some of the, the Greek poets said that we are the offspring of God. Every false religion has some form of truth. Did not the devil have some form of truth in what he spoke to Adam and Eve? Oh, you will not surely die. Not physically. But they died spiritually that day. So he had one little aspect of truth. But even a half-truth is still a lie. So this half-truth, this, this was truth that their poets said, but the rest of it was wrong. So therefore, it's still wrong, but they got that part right. So he, he says, you should, have, you should have known. All of your idols that you've got here, you've made, a, you made an altar to the unknown God just in case you missed one. Wrong. And you should have known it. 
He speaks, he speaks this way elsewhere. Come to Romans. Chapter 1, I told you we'd get there. Took a while, but, but we're getting there. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's the reason that the wrath of, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We, see, we can see it. It's clearly it's, it's made plain unto all men. But men don't want to see it. Oh, it's climate change. Oh, it's, it's this or it's that or whatever it may be. No. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But they won't acknowledge that because they suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Who's in charge of the weather? It's not man. It's the Lord. Because that which may be known of God is manifest, obvious, in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Conscience. They know that there's a creator because there's a creation. Just as you see a building and you know there's a builder. That building didn't just happen. It didn't just pop up. Chaos never produces organization. It's not a theory of thermodynamics. It's a law of thermodynamics. It is, it is, a, it is a fact that things go from order to chaos. Your car doesn't fix itself. It breaks. So, for, because... The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody will ever be able to stand before God and say, you didn't give me enough evidence to know that you existed. It will not work. They're without an apologetus. They don't have an apologetic. There's no, they will not have a reason to stand before him and say, I didn't know. Everyone that has ever existed from Adam and Eve knew that there was a God. Knew that there was a God and that he, that, that he should have been worshipped because he provided them everything that they had. But not all men do that. Malachi. Malachi chapter 2 in verse 10 tells us that he is, remember we spoke of his uh, um, illegitimate children. Here in Malachi 2.10, have we not all one father? Naturally, we do. God's the creator of all, so he is the, the father of all. He is not the heavenly father in the same way that he is to us, to everyone. For you, your family, you have, you have children of your own, children that, you've, uh, that have come from you or that you have adopted. They are your children, but yet there are other children in the world that are not yours. God's family is the same way. There are children. There, he has one child that is begotten directly of him. And then he has other children that he has adopted. That's us. And then there are children that are not his. There are two, always two groups. The children of God, the sons of God, and the children of the devil. The children of the wicked one. Christ taught that in Matthew chapter 13 in the uh, wheat and the tares. Wheat and the tares, there's the sheep and the goats, there's the wicked and the just, so on and so forth. Always two groups. There isn't a neutral group. But he is the creator of all. So in that sense, he is the father. Uh, he is the father of all. Hath not one God created us? Yes. Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? He is the father of all. He is the creator 
of all things. Men know that innately. So it applies to the wicked, but it also applies to God's people. Did you know that Christ came that we might have life? That we might have life more abundantly? John 10.10. How do we have life more abundantly? By walking in God's ways, following his word. Did you know that we can live without that mindset? As As I spoke earlier, Ananias and Sapphira certainly lived without that mindset. In, in that they did what they did in Acts chapter 5. Moses and Aaron did the same thing. <clears throat> Come to 2 Timothy. We'll see another man that did that, that did that very same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. For Demas, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas loved this present world more than he loved the things of God, living without the, the proper mindset. He did not hold God in his proper, in his proper place. 1 John 2.15, a text that you're no doubt familiar with. There's a reason we're given this exhortation. It's because we can live in, op- in an opposite way. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father, or for the Father, is not in him. The Father will... This is written to Christians, just like all of the other epistles. These Christians, Christians, even Ananias and Sapphira, are always loved of the Father. They do not always have a love for the Father. If a Christian loves the world then the love for the Father is not in him. Why are we told that? It is because we are capable. The old man does not want to love the Father more than the world. The old man wants to love the world. Lot's wife loved the world, and that's why she looked back at Sodom when it was, when it was being destroyed and was turned into a pillar of salt. This is instructive. All of this is intended to be instructive for us. That's the purpose of script. That is one of the many purposes of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, uh, for uh, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There, there we go. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, thoroughly, not thoroughly, thoroughly inside out, unto all good works. The King James translators chose that term for a purpose because we are changed from the inside out, not the outside in. So, this also applies to the Lord's people. James, even, even James in chapter 1 gives us uh, what, what pure religion is because we can live in opposite of it. Pure religion and undefiled, chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Christians are capable. The old man is capable of doing that very thing. Now, a good description of what this, uh, of what this looks like. Come to the Psalms. We're... we're Nearing the end, I promise. Psalm 112. And verse 1 reads this way. Praise ye the Lord. 
Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed, this is, this is what the Lord has promised to do to the one that does that. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation, or the ones that are generated from him, his, his children, his descendants, the generation of the upright shall be blessed. It's not talking about a, a generation of people. Uh, you know, a, 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 you know, I was born in 93, so my generation. It's talking about the descendants, the progeny, the ones that would come, from, that would be generated from the upright. Shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious, that light is gracious, and full of compassion and righteous. The Lord Jesus is the light of the world. That Lord Jesus is that light. He is the one who is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. But the, but the upright man is also walking in the Lord Christ's ways, so he will also be the same. This is a description of what that looks like. Fearing the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom. Psalm, Psalm 90 gives us that this is an important thing. Psalm 90, now that's from the Proverbs. Psalm 90 and verse 12, the prayer of Moses. Did you know that Moses wrote a psalm? <clears throat> a prayer of Moses, the man of God, is the title of this psalm. But verse 12, so teach us, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And wisdom is the, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. The next step would be keeping his commandments, walking in his ways. We have begun a new year. Many, uh, many desire to make changes at, the, at a new year. Let this be a change that we make for the better. To fear God and to keep his commandments. To walk in his ways. That we, that we may glorify his name. And that we might be edified. That we may not have uh, walking in his ways. Will, problems that we had before will seem to vanish. Because the Lord God promised that that very thing would happen. I don't know what problems you're experiencing, but I know walking in the Lord's ways will only make them better. Will only make things easier in this life as far as uh, removing his chastening from us. Walking in his ways, being more like his son in whom he is well pleased, will be a blessing unto us, and it will bring him praise, honor, and glory. For the Lord Jesus promised that it would. Walking in his ways, men would, will praise your heavenly Father for your good works. Let us bow before him and praise him for all that he has promised. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its instruction.